Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our headquarters here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, where it is always a good time to be planning your next trip to come get some fantastic riding on our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Now, for many of us, it is currently shoulder season, where the riding conditions are either wet or muddy or cold, or that wonderful combination of all of the above. And then of course, there are others who just simply live in places where you will just regularly encounter wet, muddy, and or cold conditions. So today I am talking with our Blister bike editor, David Golay, about why some of the gear that is actually intended for wet or muddy riding kind of sucks. David talks about some of the products that have worked the best for him. And then we shift gears and turn to a conversation about forks from Fox, RockShox, and Manitou. So let's just go ahead and get right to it. All right, well, David Golay, it's time for us to catch up. We've got some things we want to cover today. And so what is going to be our first topic here? Well, we're going to start with talking about mountain biking apparel and gear for riding in sort of cold, wet, shoulder season, terrible conditions. As someone who lives in the Pacific Northwest right now, I I am doing a lot of that right now. There's been a lot of mountain bike rides where it's like 35 degrees and drizzling out of late, which is not what I'd call ideal exactly, but have been making it work and kind of have some thoughts on uh, the gear to make that a little less miserable to run through. Yeah, very timely conversation. So where should we begin? Well, I think I'm going to start with uh, gloves. And kind of the main thread running through all of this stuff is that there tends to be a conflict where the things that do a good job of keeping you warm and dry are a little bit terrible to mountain bike in, in that there's just a conflict between having things that are insulative and not bulky and poor in terms of dexterity and whatnot. And so I've been fighting a many, many years long battle to figure out how to have a, keep my hands warm and relatively dry without having just bulky, you know, ski gloves on that are terrible to hold on to a bar and operate shifters and brake levers and so on with. And I think I called these out in our holiday gift guide last year, but my Easily my favorite glove on that front continues to be the Fox Attack Water. And what is unique and great about it is that it's basically a reasonably water resistant, though definitely not totally waterproof, kind of soft shell material with a pretty good DWR on the back of the hand. But then it's still just a fairly normal, albeit a little bit thicker than average, Clarino Palm. And so it's a glove that has some reasonably solid water resistance and is a bit warmer than average, but basically still feels like a normal mountain biking glove on the handlebars. And the problem with most of them is most gloves that are designed to be worn in cold, wet conditions is that they design them like a glove that's supposed to keep your whole hand warm and bulk up the palm a whole bunch to the point where 
that's got some insulation in it and then the insulation kind of has like a basically you have a slip plane there where the outer surface of the glove and the insulation can slide against each other and then you just can't hold on to the bar very well and it's you know comfortable and warm but lousy for actually mountain biking with and those foxes are one of the very very few things that i've found that strike a really good balance there okay so that is your current glove of choice where are we going next i think next let's talk about jackets mountain biking companies are just turns out not real great at making waterproof jackets the fabric technology is totally there but it really seems like the these companies who are mostly making mountain biking apparel are just not used to working with waterproof fabrics and figuring out how to pattern things so that they fit well and kind of work around the little quirks you have with those where the fabrics are stiffer than you know you'd have for just a normal mountain biking jersey say and there have been a bunch of kind of duds the one that sort of drove me the most insane is the gore c5 trail jacket which is in every other respect a pretty good jacket but then they gave it a non-helmet compatible hood for a mountain biking specific jacket which just just bewildering to me basically a really common problem with these is that the way they're patterned is just that such that when you have your arms extended in front of you and your back hunched over a little bit, you know, the position in which one rides a bike, they just billow out in the chest really badly. And then oftentimes you couple that with a kind of stiffer fabric and maybe a relatively stiff front zipper and you just have this big crunchy balloon in front of your chest that really not great. So wait a second, just to make sure I'm understanding your complaint here, you're saying the fabrics themselves, I mean, like, it's not hard to make a garment that is waterproof. I mean, like, you could wear a trash bag and it'll kind of work, right? But so your complaint here is not that these jackets are allowing water in, and I don't hear you complaining that they aren't breathable enough. The complaint is that just as an actual jacket to wear while riding bikes, the fit is getting weird or like, how does one, it's not even a fit issue per se. It's the, it's the way that the, the jackets are hanging. Yeah, exactly. That, that's 100% right. The okay. materials are good. The design for actually wearing them while riding a bike is not so hot in a lot of these cases. Got it. But- there are a couple that I want to call out that I am really getting along very well with and have been much more impressed with. First one of those is the Fox Flex Air, which is new for this year, and it is using Polartech Neo Shell for the fabric for the whole jacket. And it's patterned well. It's kind of a medium fit, I would say. It's not anything super form-fitting and slim, not super baggy either. We've talked about that fabric a fair bit on Blister at various points, and it's a really good, highly breathable, air-permeable membrane that's quite soft and supple and just comfortable. And then they've done a really good job with the ventilation on the jacket on top of that. It's got fairly normal size pit zippers that 
work well in you know the way pit zippers normally do but then the real clever touch that they added to it is that there's a big perforated panel on the upper back that then has kind of a baffle that hangs over it and so that does it just works really nicely the baffles hanging over it well enough to keep water out but it also notably improves ventilation and i experimented with that by just taping it shut for a couple of rides to see if it felt like it was really making a difference and it does it's nice it's it's a really really well done touch and i'm all around quite happy with that jacket interesting so it's funny we're recording this friday afternoon just this morning we published a gear 30 episode with the product design director for polar tech and so we go wild deep into the weeds on well on neo shell and some other textiles and fabrics that polar tech is working on and i mean we have been historically big fans of neo shell so it's interesting to hear you say this but the other thing that i find interesting is we at blister have you know tended to as we always try to do which is like line people up with the best potential products for them because we here are we're in crested butte colorado right like the rocky mountains where it does tend to be things are not sopping wet pnw and we have more strongly encouraged people to look at neo shell if they are in more dry climates say like a colorado but here you are the pnw guy and so far neo shell is serving you well yeah it's really good and i mean i think the way i would frame it is that it would probably not be my choice for a material if i was picking a jacket to go ride in a downpour for 10 hours but for a lot of i think pretty normal mountain biking around here this time of year where it's not pouring it's maybe drizzling a little bit and or the ground is just wet and you're getting spray and you're brushing against wet foliage and stuff like that it's plenty water resistant for that kind of stuff and the just air permeability and breathability of it are great and so even if it's not the absolute most bomber waterproof stuff out there it's a pretty good blend of traits for a whole lot of mountain biking around here too by the way, if you are out mountain biking for 10 hours in a downpour, then you and I have nothing in common. <laughs> I wasn't saying that that's something that I'm doing much of, just a, the hypothetical maniac who's doing that. Yeah, well, to that hypothetical maniac, he or she has nothing in common with me because <laughs> I would I would have gone in a while ago and just like warmed up and gotten dry. But uh, anyway... Well, interesting. That's cool to hear. It makes me want to check out that jacket. I have not actually used any Neo Shell specific mountain bike jackets, only only ski stuff. Yeah, it's the only one I've used as well, but I'm quite impressed with it. Okay. Well, and really, I encourage people, go check out our Gear 30 episode with Polartech's product design director, we go pretty hardcore on this one. And I think a lot of people will learn a lot. I certainly did. It's it's a good one. And yeah, we go pretty hard on the gear dork front. So um, check that one out. Where are we going next? Yeah, so the next jacket that I want to call out is also being a good one that I'm real happy with is the 7 Mesh Sky Pilot. So it's a little bit of a different 
approach than the Fox we were just talking about. It's using Gore-Tex Active with a CNET backer for the material, and it's doing it with a uh, 30 denier fabric. So it's a very light, thin version of that material. They've kind of packaged that with a very bare-bones, minimalist, super lightweight, super packable jacket that I think is best suited for people who are taking it out for a ride where they're kind of expecting some drizzling on and off maybe, but want a jacket that they're likely to take off for big chunks of the ride. Maybe you're it's warm enough that you're going to not want to wear a shell for a climb, but then have an extended descent where it might be drizzling a little bit and you want to have something to throw on for that. So it's crazy light it in a men's medium the one i have weighed in at 251 grams which for a gore-tex shell is really really crazy light and it correspondingly packs down incredibly small as well it's a little light on features it does have two hand pockets and a pretty good helmet compatible hood but no pit zips and non-adjustable cuffs and so on it's pretty bare bones in the pursuit of being lightweight and packable but it's, again, a really good material that breathes pretty well. Water resistance is good. It's got a nice DWR that's working well so far. I wouldn't expect it to be the most burly and durable jacket out there just because it is so thin and light, but so far it's holding up well for me, and particularly for a very light, very packable option, it's been great. Interesting. Give me one more. Yeah, so the third jacket that I am really liking out of this whole roundup is the Endura MT500 II, which is sort of at the other end of the spectrum as the 7 mesh in terms of being a heavier, burlier, more fully featured jacket, but it does that really well. For that one, Endura is using a proprietary three-layer waterproof fabric that they've developed themselves. They rate it at 20K waterproof and 40K for breathability, as sort of we've talked about on Blister a bunch, again, especially the breathability ratings can be kind of variable and subject to test conditions and whatnot. So grains of salt on those for sure. I think I would say that it feels maybe not as wildly breathable as that rating maybe makes it sound, but it's still very, very good in that regard. And it's a just little bit looser fit than the first two that we've talked about and more heavily featured. It's got stuff like a lift pass pocket on the sleeve and some kind of pretty well done neoprene wrist gaskets at the cuffs, basically. And But one of the other things that it does that kind of sets it apart is that ignoring the fabric breathability, it's just easily the best ventilated jacket out of the bunch that I've tested in that it's got one uncommonly long pit zippers that just open up wider than most. But then on top of that, it's got really big hand pockets that extend most of the way up the chest of the jacket. And then those have a pretty open mesh liner to them. So you can open those up and use them as vents as well. And then they also have a double zipper on those so that you can open some combination of the top and bottom, kind of adjust how you want them to open, including cracking the top open for some ventilation, but still having them be deep enough that you can have things in the pockets that aren't in any great danger of falling out, even with them opened up a little bit. 
And so the combination of those two, along with a solidly breathable fabric, makes for something that's just impressively good in terms of your ability to open it up and ventilate it. So that is actually kind of one of the easier jackets out of the whole bunch to keep on for an entire ride if it's really gross out and you just even if you're grinding up a pretty extended climb and getting warm you're able to open that one up very wide and get really good airflow through it so that's been great and it's also just a notably kind of heavy burly feeling fabric and one of the ones that i would shout out out of the bunch in the roundup as being a really promising option for someone who's looking for something that's just burlier and a bit more durable than average well done those are three good options i think for people to check out and as you said there will be a fuller roundup getting posted on blister sometime in the near future next couple weeks probably yeah pretty soon okay let's transition here for a second i want to ask you a little bit about some of the forks that you have been testing what's going on on that front First up, we'll talk about some long travel single crown forks. So in the last couple of months, Noah Bodman and I have published full reviews of the Fox 38, the RockShox Zeb, and the Manitou Mezer. And then Noah did the 38 review, I did the other two. But then since publishing those, Noah and I have swapped the 38 and the Zeb so that he's got the Zeb now. I've, I've been spending some time on the 38 and we'll be doing a roundup comparison of that kind of whole class of longer travel single crowns, including the Lyric and 36 as well. Mostly going to talk about the 38 and the Zeb here. I think they're the most direct kind of category comparison at the very top burliest end of them. The Measure, I think, is an outstandingly good fork, and you can read the full review on the site for more on that. But it's basically a better category match for the 38 and Lyric than it is the 38 and Zeb. The Mezzer is a little bit stiffer than a 36 or a Lyric, but is in kind of the same weight class as those two and is notably lighter and notably less stiff than the 38 and Zeb. The jump to the sort of 38 Zeb class of forks is a lot bigger than the one between 36 Lyric Mezzer. Those are kind of just more directly matched up with each other. I've gotten along quite well with both the 38 and the Zeb, but I think it's kind of not too hard to have someone who's looking for one of those two, and you can kind of ask some pretty straightforward questions and figure out which one is going to work better for a given person. And I think the simplest way to break it down is that the 38 is generally more supportive and is going to work better for people who prefer a lot of mid-stroke support and set their suspension up a little bit on the stiffer side of things, whereas the Zeb is really remarkably good in terms of small bump compliance and sensitivity, but gives up a little bit of mid-stroke support, especially to accomplish that. And so... They're both good products that I am liking riding, but they just do different things well a little bit. And there's kind of relatively obvious breakdown for who should be on which. Okay. Well, with that said, are there any other details that might 
become real factors in terms of somebody who's still figuring out which of these three ways to go. Yeah. So, like I said, the if you're concerned about weight, out of the 38 Zeb Mezer trio, the Mezer is easily the lightest. It's about 200 grams lighter than the Zeb, which is itself another 150 or so lighter than the 38. And so, if you're worried about weight, the Mezer's easily the lightest of those three and is kind of in the same ballpark as the 36 and Lyric. On the other hand, I think despite being a little lighter than the 38, the Zeb is a little bit stiffer. And so if you're just dead set on having the absolute burliest, stiffest single crown that you can get your hands on, I think that's the Zeb right now. With that said, the kind of 36 lyric measure grouping of forks are enough fork for a whole lot of people. And that said, I think the 36 lyric measure sort of class of forks are definitely enough fork for a whole lot of people. And I'm glad that there are some bigger, burlier options out there as well. Just having those choices is good for the certain segment of the population that need them, especially people who are running the forks at the longer travel end of the range. You know, there is a very real weight penalty to jumping up to those. And I definitely don't think that everybody out there who's running a 160, 170 kind of travel fork needs to make that jump. Okay. And I think we have just one more fork we're going to be talking about here, right? Yeah. So in addition to the long travel single crowns, I've also been spending some time on the new 2021 Fox 40. Fox did a pretty substantial overhaul of the chassis on that. It's new lowers, new crowns, and they've made some revisions to its damper as well. It's still using their grip to damper, but they've reconfigured that a bit. And the mid-valve on that is using what they're calling uh, VVC for variable valve control. You can go read Noah's Fox 38 review, which uses effectively the same damper, just reconfigured for the different chassis. And uh, he goes into quite a bit of detail on what it is that they've updated. And those same changes are applicable to the 40 as well. There's also a little bit of a tweak to the air spring. It's using a larger negative chamber than the outgoing prior version, which has been a nice update. It feels sort of noticeably more sensitive off of the top. Small bump compliance is a little bit better. It's So that's been a, a, a good positive change. The update that I'm a little bit less thrilled about, though, is that basically Fox went to the trouble to redo the whole chassis to change the offsets that are available for the fork and are offering at least theoretically per their parts list, though they don't seem to quite be available yet for purchase, three different crowns to adjust the offsets on them. But the choices that they made in those offsets strike me as kind of bizarre, especially given that they went to the trouble to update and change it. So the 27 and a half inch wheeled fork that I've been on comes with 48 millimeters of offset and that's the shortest of the three crown options that they offer, which 
for reference, the 27.5 single crown forks that they offer the longer travel end, the 38 and the 36, have long and short offset options at 37 and 44 millimeters. So the fact that the 40 is substantially longer offset than the long offset versions of the single crowns just doesn't add up to me. You can go read the Mountain Biking 201 article on fork offset that I published earlier this year on that. And I basically just pretty emphatically think that that is too long an offset for a fork that is going to be used on a kind of long wheelbase slack head angle bike that's predominantly supposed to be pointed downhill most of the time for their dual crown DH fork. I don't get why they've left the offset as long as that. Now, on the 29-inch forks, the picture's a little bit better because the 29er fork ships with a crown for 52 millimeters of offset, which is substantially shorter than the prior 29er fork, which had 58. But then the shorter of the crowns that are available do bring the 29er fork down to 48 millimeters, which would be between the long and short offset 29er single crowns, which are either 44 or 51. And so that's kind of got the 29-inch fork down into the kind of normal offset range for those forks. And I think that's broadly reasonable. So I don't know if it's that people who are racing DH are mostly on 29-inch front wheels these days, if not full 29. Maybe, you know, a lot of people are running mullets, a lot of people are running full 29. So I don't know if it's that like Fox just did most of their testing with the 29-inch fork and kind of got that where they wanted it and just didn't get the 27.5 one as dialed in or what their thought process was there. But the fact that they went to the trouble of redesigning the whole chassis to change the offset and offer three different fork offset crowns, which come in at 48, 52, or 56 millimeters for either of the wheel sizes seems very strange to me. And have you seen anything or read anything from Fox about like on this, why they went that route or made that decision? I have asked Fox about that and haven't gotten an answer yet. So we'll have a full review of the, the new 40 coming down the line once I've been able to spend some more time on it. I've only got a handful of rides on it and got it relatively recently. We'll talk to Fox more about that and see what their explanation is and kind of what their thought process is. Yeah. But I'm not sure what that is at this point. Okay. Well, hey, man, I appreciate the update and the reports. Sounds like people will be able to read soon more about a lot of the things that we've just talked about here on the website. I always like to kind of check in and, and get the updates from folks like you. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, good talking to you. And like you said, we'll have all of that stuff in much more detail on the website soon. Excellent. Happy shoulder season riding. I hope you stay somewhat warm and dry. If you do get out on any of those 10-hour rides in a downpour, I don't even know what to say. Send some pictures or good luck. Uh, I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll probably keep it a little more reasonable than that. But <laughs> still getting out there, though. Well, hey, good to talk, and we'll talk to you real soon. Talk to you soon, John. 
Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to David for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.